my thing was perception is power. And because perception is power, I never told anyone when I started and how I started because that would then determine how they viewed me and perceived the work I would deliver them. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. Today's guest is from Montreal, Canada. In a past life, he was a web designer. He discovered he had a particular skill photographing people. So he began making portraits of black people that captured their grace and dignity. This is the legacy he wants to leave behind. So he closed his web design shop and opened up his first studio in 2009. Since then, he has built a client list consisting of Nike, Cadillac, Puma, and Timberland. His work is featured in Variety, Esquire, Complex, and Hypebeast. In 2015, he was commissioned by Shopify to travel across the United States, giving lectures and sharing his experiences in the photography industry. Nasca Damini, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Uh, despite what's everything's going on, we're recording during a time where there's uprising across the U.S. There's some things clicking off in Toronto. I'm in Montreal right now, um, but I'm good, man. I'm 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 uh, I'm quarantining. I'm in the house. I'm good. Yeah, How I mean, are you? I'm. I mean, I'm alright. I'm breathing. I'm breathing. Right. You know, um, it's a lot going on, and um, it's hard to be a black man, a black person in this world, and see everything that's going on out there, and still be present for our families, our loved mm -hmm. ones, to uh, keep a a certain type of mentality to approach our work, and and create stuff that's impactful and powerful while staying sane. So. It's a lot to go. It's a lot going on right now, man. It's a lot going on. And it's fu it's funny because this this balancing act has always been part of our culture, right? It's always, always been part, always been part of what we had to do, uh, in the face of like. Sorry, one second. Mm -hmm. I I am near a train track, so it passes like once every five hours. So. It's all good. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the balancing act that uh blacks had. To, that black people had to uh, endure uh, has always been part of our life, right? Mm -hmm. Even even you you see what goes on in the real world. You got to go to work right now because of everyone's doing like Zoom calls online. You're watching the news. You're upset. You're hurt. But people still want you to hop on Zoom and be professional and be courteous and hold back your tears and your anger. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that balancing act has been part of our DNA, and 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 uh, we're built for this, so to speak. Yeah, I mean we are built for it, and, and but I don't know if it's it's not sustainable in the long term. And Definitely the more not. I'm learning about PTSD is that, yeah. you know, we've been suffering from PTSD without having to go to a war or, yes. or you know, like just, just living in our society is a form of warfare. So yes. in the long term, we're suffering from this PTSD to have to wear one face, you know, when we're at home and then put on another face 
and be professional and not want to flip out and, and throw chairs and shit when we're at work. Yo, that, right. you know, where does that energy go? If we, and, and, and black folks and mental health is, it has not always been a cohesion there, you know, like it hasn't always been something that we felt we can go towards, but it's, it's, I see a shift happening. It, it, it's shifting, yeah. And, you know, like myself, um, we can get into it later, but coming from like a Caribbean background, you know, whenever you felt uh, a certain way or um, your mental health wasn't right, you know, your parents or your grandparents were just like, yo, you know, go drink some water, go to sleep. <laughs> there was no real, mm-hmm. let's get you some help. Let's go see a psychiatrist, psychologist. It was really just kind of like go sleep it off. And if somebody was like, you know, what we would consider mentally ill, they would just be like, oh, man, that person's mad or that person's, mm-hmm. you know crazy but they wouldn't really address what the underlying issues may be but now you know with 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 the internet and with 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 greater discussion and voices around mental health and all these other things i think even the older generations are coming around and are are learning and, and and knowing that we need to start focusing on like you said the ptsd that we've been suffering from for generations you know that it courses through our blood right yeah absolutely man and uh yeah so and you know i'm happy that this changed yeah yeah, and, and the fact that we're seeing so much visually, you know, on the internet, everything's being recorded, yeah. it, it just shows the power of of visuals, you know. And, yes. And I think as black photographers, you know, we understand that power. You know, we can use it, use photography as a form of civil rights, you know, revolution and rebellion. We can use it to show showcase beauty, to show the, the opposite side of what the media is, you know, portraying us. You know, so we yeah. understand the power of the visuals, you know. We do. And, and I think we need to use them more um, as a form of our own propaganda. I think if we start realizing the power we have with visuals, we can then use it as, you know, uh, positive propaganda to perpetuate, you know, the ideas and missions that we should all be on as black creatives and black photographers and black videographers who are putting out, you know, the documentation of our time. Yeah, absolutely. And to be able to control the narrative yes changes things you know absolutely so imagine imagine what's going on right now I'll cut you up but imagine what's going on right now if we didn't have mm-hmm. you know smartphones yep. and affordable cameras to just eat the document what's going on it would be it would be like it, it would be it would be a whole different conversation right now yeah they say that um what is it what's the quote that um this racism isn't new. It's just being recorded. Exactly. Will Smith said that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. so coming from Montreal. Yeah. Right. What's the ph- photography scene like out there? Um, Montreal is a unique city. Uh, it's, it's half Anglophone, half Francophone. So this, there's a scene, but the scene's divided based on, the language and the culture you represent. Mm-hmm. And as a black photographer in Montreal, like anywhere else, uh, you only eat what you kill. Mm. So you go out, you, you you try to make your own lane, and I'm of the mind that um, whatever I've wanted, whatever I've accomplished, whatever I wanted to do, I went and did it myself. I didn't wait for the, the, the institutions or the, the, the companies uh, who normally control narrative and who control uh, photography, like the art world or photography world. I didn't wait for them to give me an opportunity or a chance uh, 
You know, I opened my own art gallery so that I could showcase my work and work of other photographers. Just different things that I did to kind of like take the the the, the, the reins by, myself. Because if you wait for people to give you opportunity, especially when you're a black uh, photographer, those opportunities rarely come. So, so, so the scene in Montreal is it, the scene is what you make it, mm. right? Like like I don't participate in the traditional art photography world uh, in Canada, in the U.S. or abroad, wherever. I I just do my own thing. And when it gets, if it gets picked up or it gets used or it gets published or I get to do a solo show or, or, a, or a, a group show, whatever, um, that's what comes from me just making my own way as opposed to trying to forge myself into institutions and places that don't recognize us unless it's, unless it's something that's uh, uh, a fad or recognize us unless it's something that's like of the moment we have to have a black photographer to yeah. do this type of vibe. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. So there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of creative artists in Montreal, a lot of kids in Montreal, a lot of wannabe photographers, a lot of real photographers, uh, still all trying to figure it out and see what this world looks like. Wow. So that's crazy. You, you open your own gallery. Yeah. How, how, how did you do that? Um, listen, I was, uh, in 2000 and around 2009, um, I left my, my, my job and I was working from home and I said, you know what? Um, let me, let me go get, let me go get, I, I let me go get an office space. The first studio or loft type space that I, that I, that I looked at, I'm like, this feels good. This feels right. And I signed the lease. I left work. I left the workforce in 2006, and four years later, you know, working out of working out of home, I was like, you know what? I need. I need. I need. I need to get out of of being able to just wake up in the morning mm -hmm. from my bed and go into my home office, and can't get anything done really because I'm distracted by the PlayStation, the mm -hmm. TV, all the other stuff. So I was like, you know, let me go look for office space. Found the space. It was about. Uh, at the time, eighteen hundred square feet, and Whoa. I I created I created. But also, keep in mind, Montreal the, the 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 cost of living here is it's expensive, but it's way more affordable than like a New York City mm -hmm. or like an LA. So, eighteen hundred square feet sounds like a lot of space, but it actually kind of wasn't. But long story short, found the space uh, and kind of made it my own. You know, set up set up set up in there and retrofitted it to be like an art space to showcase. Uh, my work and also a place to photograph and my place to do uh, my business, which is like at the time was web design and slowly moving into photography. Wow, man, that's, that's pretty dope, man. It's really inspiring. That, um... yeah. and, and to answer your question, how I actually did it, it was just uh, sheer ambition and will. Like mm -hmm. uh, I, I've, my personality type has always been not to be afraid to do what you want to do and some business people say this is stupid, but I also use my own money in a sense, right? Like I invest in myself mm -hmm. as I move through life and realize that nobody does business with their own money. I'm starting to learn that now, but at the time it was like, I can't wait for somebody to give me uh, a, a, a space to work out of or to do stuff out of. So I just, I just kind of like risked, risked it, took the risk and said, you know what? Let me see what this, how this works. And I've been, I've been the building, the building that we're in right now, I've been in 2009. So, you know, we've been making it work and we've expanded since then too. We can get into that later, but um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I just decided to make it happen. I mean, and going back to that, to the point of, you know, not, you know, starting a business with your own money, 
I think as black folks, we don't always get the same financial opportunities as as other people. So we do have to invest in ourselves and believe in ourselves in the beginning. You know, and if we yep. are, you know, for those of us who are fortunate enough to get that small business loan and have somebody back you, yo, that's great. You know, um, for a large majority, I'm not sure if that's the case. So it's not. You do have to just kind of take that leap of faith and and say, yo, F it, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in myself and make this happen. Exactly, and on top of that, as Black folks too, we also don't have access to the information, and I don't exactly. mean Google. I mean like I mean like. When you think about, like, I can't Google something that I know nothing about. Exactly. So people be like, oh, but it's Google. But you, you have to have a search query. You have to know what you're searching for in order to, to, to make that happen, right? So a lot of times we don't get the information or it's, it's withheld from us on purpose. Mm-hmm. People live by the, 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 the rule of, oh, I want you to make your own mistakes. My father, who used to be a DJ and who used to, uh, he, he was a DJ in the city, and then he decided on his own to start a music magazine. Um, a really just a small make music magazine. And his friends, most of them white at the time, but his friends who had had experience uh, in the music magazine publishing you know, realm said to him that they had, they had preferred that he made his own mistakes instead of them telling him what he should do right. Yeah, which is kind of which is kind of crazy way to look at the world. Like, why would you want someone to make their own mistakes instead of telling them, "Hey, don't burn yourself by doing it this way or that way"? And I feel like that's how some society functions. They mm-hmm. don't they 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 want to see you burn or succeed, but without giving you the tips and, and, and information. And I feel like that's the the struggle that we've been dealing with for so long mm-hmm. is the lack of information uh, in order to move forward. So I didn't know um, that there were grants available. Uh, for young black entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when I wanted to get an office space, I just saw the building, went to take a visit, sat down with the, the, my landlord at the time, my landlord, uh, asked her what things looked like and signed the lease, right? Wow. Other people would have, other people would have, you know, the conversations about, okay, cool. Let me go to the bank. Let me get a small business loan. Let me hit up the, the, the Canadian Council of Arts and find out if they can, you know, subsidize some of my rent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things I never knew existed. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, it's the the thing about it is that you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So I'm I'm sure that there were a lot of learning lessons in in starting out on your own and a lot of um information that you can pass on to to other folks. And that's sort of goes back to the music, the music folks in the magazine business telling your pops yeah. to learn on your own is like you find it's, it's, it's a challenge, but then you're also forced to find new solutions and new answers. And it gives you a certain sense of resilience and strength exactly. that you didn't know you had in you, right? If I could be um, keeping, you know, the doors open and keeping business rolling and, and, and suffer and struggle and all of that to be now in 2020 uh, with an even bigger space, which obviously has become, you know, <laughs> since COVID and all that stuff has become... Uh, harder to maintain right now, but besides that, uh, you know, it, it 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 built me up to be who I am today. Yeah, absolutely. And if it, you know, if it don't kill you, it make you stronger. Exactly. I know you mentioned that in a past life you were a, a graphic designer or a web designer. Web designer. Web yeah. designer. Right. So, at what point did you realize you had an interest in photography? 
I always had an interest in photography. I feel like even in high school, I had did uh, I we did darkroom stuff and and learned about uh, developing film and all these other things. And I've always um, admired the visual aspect of the world. And because my dad was a DJ, I grew up with a lot of vinyls um, in my house. We had a little apartment. We grew up we grew up really poor, but my dad my dad had a lot of vinyls. Um, and these album covers that he used to have used to serve as like, you know, visual stimulation for me. And I would always like analyze like the portraits at the time, not knowing that they were portraits. I was always like looking at like a Prince cover or Lionel Richie or, you know, whatever violence he had. And I was like, man, you know, these images are incredible. And I used to, I used to draw a lot. I used to draw and draw my figurines and draw my He-Man and draw different toys that I had at the time or whatever was out, G.I. Joe, whatever, draw those and left that alone to then do like graffiti stuff. So like, you know, in high school, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. doing like graffiti. So I've always been like an artistic type. And I feel like when I started, when I started web designing as my major source of income, a lot of clients wanted the full turnkey solution. So they wanted uh, mm-hmm a website, then he wanted visuals, and then he needed, you know, logos. And I was like, you know what, let, let, I, I, was type of, I was the type of personality, like, let's not say no to any type of business. And if I can't do it myself, I'll find someone who could do it. Yeah. So, you know, slowly started being a full-stop shop. And when people were like, okay, I need photos or of this product or whatever, I'm like, yeah, we can do it. And I would do the, I'll do the pictures. So my, it was just kind of like a muscle memory. It just kind of came back to me. And, and because I used to draw, and 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 do graffiti and all these other things. I understood um, to a certain degree composition and all the other stuff. So I was able to, you know, capture images that these clients were satisfied with at the time. And that's when my both worlds kind of like overlapped. That's really interesting because you know I have a design background as well. So, right. um, and I've I've heard editors mention that they see the graphic design element in some of my photos. How do you see the crossover in your work? Like, do you still think like a designer when you're photographing or when you're, when you're photographing and, and, and when you're designing, do you compose like a photographer? Like what, what is the overlap? Um, I, I started doing, I was doing a lot of uh, uh, street photography and, and, and landscapes and things of that sort and, and some commercial stuff. And I started thinking about um, what my legacy is going to be. And I started looking at photography as a long-term game mm-hmm. and, and not, wor- not worry about what images would look like today, but what would they look like 30, 40, 50 years from now? And I, I told myself I needed to find a point of difference to separate myself from my Instagram peers and everyone who's doing the same thing on IG. Um, Cause I used to post my work on Tumblr and um when IG became the thing, you know, I, I, my, my IG account at first was always, you know, food and different stuff that I used to enjoy doing. And it was never focused on photography. And it was one photographer out of Chicago, um, this dude named Trash Hands, mm-hmm. who, was, who was showing the world that you could post, um, you know, photography on Instagram. It was weird. Even yeah. though Instagram was founded in photography, people weren't posting photos. or I mean, they were posting photos of of, of food and different things. And when he started showing like his landscape work on, on, on IG when it was iPhone only type of days, I was like, oh, that's super cool. So I transitioned from the food stuff and all the other stuff I was just showing around on IG to 
my landscape stuff. And then I was thinking about my legacy and quickly realized that I need to create a point of difference between myself and my peers. And I started focusing on studio uh, photography. And when I think of, of like design and I think of designing light around my subjects and I started, I started incorporating all that I've learned from you know my design and graphic background and using that to shape the light that I now use in most of my studio work. Nice. When did it click that you wanted to make the jump and do and focus more on the photography side? When so I have a twin brother and my twin uh he was one of the how do I put this? One of the pioneering bloggers, so to speak, uh, in the cool guy fashion pre-hypebeast world, right? <laughs> okay. And yeah, so when he when he started when he started working on his his blog, and we were doing uh, which was like marketshore.com, and I was doing like the back in uh, web design coding stuff. Um, and helping him create the images for whatever he would, he, what he need, like his outfits or his sneak, whatever he was doing. Um, he had a name for himself. He had a name in the industry. Like when, when, uh, when the, the Beijing Olympics, what, what year is the Beijing? 2000, 2004? 2008? 2004. 2008, sorry. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, um, yeah. Nike, Nike, Nike had, um, had flown my brother to Beijing to document uh, the games for his blog and for wow. them, right? So he was getting all of this type of like um, uh, access, and then he started. He started. He started saying, "Hey, listen, uh, I need to. I'm a blogger, uh, and I, I have content, and I need, I need um, uh, my photographer to come with me to help document some of the things I'm, I'm experiencing, right? So." When I was always behind the scenes guy, more of an introvert behind the scenes, he was more on the front scenes. And when and when he started doing work for like companies like that, he introduced me as his photographer brother. And I got so busy, I got busy to the point that I couldn't really focus on the web design stuff anymore. Cause then my life turned into like more travel and, and documenting experiences and all, all different things like that. So I was no longer having, finding myself with time to, to do web design stuff. And that's kind of like when it, when it hit me like, oh man, people actually like my work. Like mm -hmm. what, he wouldn't, I, I would get a free trip to go somewhere and document or photograph stuff. And then the clients or whoever were like, man, we like your work. And when I realized that my work was strong enough, I kind of let the web design stuff, you know, fade. Wow, for me, whenever I start to do something for, for out of the love of it, and then somebody says, "Hey, I want to give you some money to do that thing that you love," I mean, yeah. to do that thing that I love, I'm yeah. like, "Okay, that's like a light bulb moment for me." That's like, "Okay, my work has gotten to the point like this personal passion has gotten to a point where somebody thinks it's worth paying something, paying yeah. for, right?" Yeah. And that's exactly. when it's like, ah, okay, so there's an opportunity for me to make money doing something that I love. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna see where this where this road goes. That's dope. And and because I was always because I was always uh 
paying attention to what was going on. And also I have a strong belief of self, irregardless of if I'm the person for the job or not, I still believe that I can pull it off. Mm-hmm. And I'm, 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 I try to live by like the make it happen code that my first, my first, uh, of my first contract as a photographer, my, the, the first time I charged somebody for work, I charged them a thousand dollars. Assuming that that's the shit, that's what it costs to do work mm-hmm. with me. I just pulled a number out of my hat and it was a thousand dollars US and they paid it. And, you know, since then I had, I had, I, I, be, I became an advocate on un, people understanding pricing and that they have to charge for their work. I, I was never the guy that was, I didn't start off my career in photography of doing jobs for like, yeah, yeah I'll shoot a campaign for you for a hundred dollars to get my feet wet. Mm-hmm. My thing was perception is power. And because perception is power, I never told anyone when I started and how I started, because that would then determine how they viewed me and perceived the work I would deliver them. A lot of the mistake a lot of photographers make is that they, they let people know, oh, I just started, I just got my camera. And that is what people use to kind of like say, okay, we'll work for free. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm a photographer, I shoot. Look at my Tumblr, I got work. Oh, you want, you want me to shoot a lookbook for you? Okay, cool. Uh, what's your fee? I'm like a thousand dollars, and I, I entered into a game where I'm like, you know, this is what I'm charging, and nobody could have from that point on in my life come back to me and lowball me and saying I have a hundred dollars for you for a photography gig, mm-hmm. and and that's that's the important part of of even though you may have started yesterday, if you're confident enough in your skill and your work set, uh, let the people decide for you if you're good enough, good enough or not. You don't make the decision for yourself, and I feel that. Too, too often creatives make decisions for themselves that they're not ready to put the work out or to put uh, or to charge what yeah. something's actually worth. Pricing is more than just money, right? Pricing is to me a reflection of self-worth and self-value and, and in addition and to, value. exactly. In addition to uh, the earlier topic we were talking about where you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. And it sounds like you have a really strong foundation when it comes to yourself um, as far as taking the, the risk to just like quit your job and open up a studio with using your own money, understanding how to how you want to price your work at the early stages of your career. Like where did that where did that, I guess, spirit of entrepreneurialism and, you know, self-confidence and that that sort of. I'm going to make it happen mentality come from? Um, I think it came from seeing my parents uh, bust their ass um, with a little that we had to make things happen. And the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, came from my father. Seeing my father uh, work, uh, work during the day um, at a toy factory uh, or, or a manufacturing company that made toys to then DJ at night and then to start his own magazine that lasted a few years, um, I used to help him staple it together, uh, nice. and, and, and and all of that. And then he went from leaving he went from leaving um, his day job to become a DJ DJ, um, doing nightclubs and stuff like that. And then from then he started he started working at a record store, and I saw him go from working at the record store to selling his own mixtapes. At, at the record store he was working to becoming the manager of the record store 
and from selling mixtapes at the at the record store, like on the low, kind of like, oh, I make my own mixtapes. You can buy vinyls and CDs, but I have my own mixtapes. He used that money to open up his own record store at the top of a, of a cigar shop in Montreal, right? And he opened up his, uh, he opened up, he was, so he was co-renting a space with a cigar shop, his own little record store. And he went from that to his own complete, you know, storefront record store on the second floor of, 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 of the downtown Montreal. And seeing that throughout my life, um, it kind of stuck with me as like, you, you make your own way. You don't wait for anybody to give you opportunities. You know what I'm saying? So I think that spirit was instilled for me from jump. And the other thing was my father always preached to us. He was like, I don't care what you do in life. I don't care if you're a, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a drug dealer, uh, just be the best at it. And that advice kind of shaped my brother's and I's um, outlook on the world. That the minute you have the support from your parents to do what you want to do, um, your confidence get strengthened at an earlier age. And that's why um, I feel like parents need to make sure that they let their kids be curious and explore different things and not force them always into the, the, the stereotypical, I need you to be a lawyer or a doctor because they weren't that, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel that that confidence coming from my parents earlier on kind of gave me confidence. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I, I still have insecurities. I still have doubt uh, as an artist, but I have a certain unwavering, silent confidence that if I want something, I just make it happen and I do it. Yeah, I could vibe with that for sure, man. I think what's dope about hearing your your father's story is that the connecting thread in everything he did was music. Yeah. You know, from creating mixtapes to DJing at night to creating a music magazine, the thread is music. And I can imagine as a kid seeing, so it's twofold, right? As a child, watching their parent, you see his hard work, his work ethic as far as doing the physical work to make sure he's taking care of the family. But yeah. then you see hard work combined with a focused passion, which is the music. And which is creative, which is arts, which is, exactly. like if you talk to my dad, he would never call himself a creative, but now I let him know, I speak to him all the time. And I'm like, dad, like you were a creative, like you've done creative things and he, mm-hmm. He starts realizing that the word the word is is very broad, and he sees it now. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like that creative bug. Like people think that creativity is the ability to draw. Oh, I'm I'm not I'm not creative. I I don't know how to draw. But creativity comes in all shapes and forms, right? So yeah, definitely. every every field is a is a certain amount of creativity within that field. It's different. Yes. It just looks it just looks different, right? Like right. business is creative. Yes. You know, you have to find creative ways to uh, stretch that dollar. You have to find creative ways to outthink your, your, um, you know, competitors. Yes. You know, uh, and to, to create something that's going to push the culture or push your, you know, particular industry forward. So there's creativity in every single industry. Absolutely. That's dope, man. And, you know, I have a child, I have a, uh, a five-year-old son and you know he asks me all the time like why am i always working you know it's the weekend just now um before, oh, really? he, yeah. he knows what the week he knows what the weekend is enough to ask you why are you working that's cool yeah <laughs> you know and i'm just like he I, I hope he sees the that same thing that you saw in your father mm. as far as me just really just trying to go out and get it for my family and to also do something for the culture 
and I think it's interesting that, you know, some people can look at their upbringing and you can either say, I saw my parents work hard and I don't, I don't want to work as hard as they did. Right. Or you can say, I'm going to do something a little bit different and, 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 and pave my own way, you know? So it's like, you could repeat the pattern or you can do the opposite of the pattern, you know? No, listen, when I think back about my childhood, man, my father never played baseball with me, never threw a ball at me, never, we never, we didn't, we, we didn't have that relationship where he's like, okay, because my, my dad was working, right? He wasn't, he wasn't throwing a baseball at me for me to catch, right? So we never, we never grew up with that type of family household. But what he did do is, is make me who I am today by how he was, right? And I recognize that obviously later on. And I don't, I don't have a longing for, for playing catch. And I think that the whole playing catch thing, I've gotten it from movies. Who knows if that's how if that's how life's supposed to really be, right? So your five year old who's seen you work your ass off, especially in these times, you have no choice but to work harder uh-huh. than maybe your parents have to work because there's no more middle class, right? It's either you're rich or you're poor, right? So your your child may understand may not understand it today, but I'm sure he'd be grateful when he sees that you were able to provide him a life that you, maybe you didn't have. Uh, because you've worked so hard, you know what I'm saying, to make sure that he has everything he needs. Like I grew, I grew up in an apartment, right? We grew up in a, in a in a in a in a in a in a small apartment, and I also myself that I don't want to raise any children in an apartment, right? So the, the the work that my father put in, my mom put in, was to make sure that I we had the tools to go out and make better better lives for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the that's the guiding light yeah. for me as a as a father. So how do you how do you take all of that foundational work that you you took from your parents and apply it to to your photography now to your business? I try to focus my work um, on black stories, black people um, of all ages, and try to speak to a generation of people who didn't like photography. Who did or, not? Who don't? Yeah. Who, who do or, not like photography? Yeah, they don't like to be captured. Ah, uh, right? okay, okay. So if you look, if you look at like, like my mom hates being photographed. Mm-hmm. My father's a Leo, so he 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 doesn't he, he likes a bit of the show off aspect of it. He's all, like, so. we're like, where's the camera, boy? Yeah, he, he like he likes to be he likes to be captured even more so now that he really loves my work. But um, black people in general, especially the older generation never liked to be photographed and i get it because these images were used against us Mm -hmm. for so long so i I, i've tried to 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 break that stigma and to always encourage especially the older folks who may not even have a picture of themselves from since the last 30 40 50 years to try to get them under my lens and create images of people that ordinarily wouldn't like to be you know photographed it's obviously mixed in with other stuff, but I feel like part of my upbringing was to go back to the days where our parents had photo albums of all the kids, mm-hmm. but there was there was really any adults in these pictures. It was always like kid pictures because they just didn't want to be photographed. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I introduce that part of my life into my work by trying to uh, photograph the elderly. Uh, last uh, last year, Mother's Day. Um, I, I wanted to do, I, we did a, a, a Mother's Day project where I told everybody, you know, come to the studio with your mother. And I don't mean mothers like young mothers. I don't mean like 
you know, like the mother of your child. She'll be too young for this. I wanted like your mother, right? Mm -hmm. Because your mother would not have any pictures of herself. You know, the mother of your child may have selfies of herself and that's good enough. But whereas your mother might be like, I don't, I don't have any pictures. That's what I took was 30 years ago. So I, I encourage everybody to bring your mothers and you know, get a free portrait session along with like, you know, free makeup and free hair done and just, you know, take part of this project that I was working on. And it was a success, man. Mothers were crying. People had never, hadn't seen themselves look that way in forever. And that's kind of like really important to me in breaking the stigma. And, and it's twofold because when you look at all of the missing children, uh, the missing women uh, in the black community uh, that we see online, it's usually the pictures that they, or even the media, when you get shot by the police or whatever, the, the, sh the photos that you're putting online of you are always either a mugshot or you throw in a peace sign, which you conflate with being a gang sign, mm -hmm. and or these blurry pictures where they got, like I've seen so many pictures of missing uh, women and, 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 and boys, and you're like, it's like cut out images out of Instagram, like cropped images. Yeah. So no real representation of a professional feeling or looking portrait, right? So in, 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 in trying to create a stoic, uh, royalty-esque portrait of Black families, that's kind of like my mission um, on the daily and trying to document that as much as possible in a studio setting. Wow, man, that's, that's great, man. And that goes back to uh, what you were saying about legacy building. Yes. You know, this is, you know, it's like you're building your legacy through your work one portrait at a time. Exactly. And, and to go and to go a bit further in that is that um, when you think of like reference points, right, and you think about you think about the 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 what we've we've now known to be no, what we've now coined as the white gaze. Mm -hmm. You think you think about all of the like all the vinyls that I grew up with, all of the the, the images that, I, that we've been accustomed to uh, have been created by the most part by white photographers. And yeah. how we perceive the black man to be, we've been fed that perception. When you see Jay Z, reasonable doubt. You know, mafioso look, the 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 the, the brim hat, the scarf, Jonathan Mannion. You know, at the time, I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, who the photographer was or anything like that. And I'm seeing Jay Z looking like a mafia don, right? Mm -hmm. And you you're fed that image, and then I'm thinking that in order for an image to be ill and to be dope, I got to emulate what Jonathan Mannion did, right? Mm not understanding that it's way deeper than that because Jonathan is carving out an end. Again, the creative direction could have been Jason. Yo, I just watched Godfather. I just want to look like fine. But the thing is, we've had our own black gangsters. We've had our own, you know what I'm saying? So if Jay wants to emulate uh, 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 from a position of strength and he thinks the mafia is the only way to go, a black photographer maybe would have seen that differently. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And given a different creative direction on an image for the Reasonable Doubt cover, right? So we've been fed all of these images throughout all our lifetime, like because photography was always an expensive sport and the gear was expensive and all these other things. So we have to we have to repair imagination and and have a paradigm sh shift in terms of how we see ourselves and how we portray ourselves and stop referencing. Uh, the masters of photography who are generally white mm -hmm. 
that's how we how we capture ourselves. So what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to build. First of all, I'm trying to repair my imagination and erase the the yes. the, the, the the reference points that, that I've built up over the years. Every cover, every album, every photo of every scene in my life, and then start afresh that I'm doing, you're doing, we're all doing, creating new work so that when your child grows up and becomes, you know, a 25 year old man, he can look back and be like, wow, look at these photographers back in the day, including my father who shaped a new narrative of what we are and what we're supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, every hip hop poster that I grew up with, you know, chances are it was photographed by a white person. Yeah. And even though the image were, were great and are cool, it's still through the lens of somebody who doesn't and would never and can never fully truly understand yeah. the culture and the depth of our skin. Yeah. And that's what, and, and that's what legacy comes in for me. Like how do I create how to create how do I create enough images enough work that I'm going I'm going to be a reference point for gen, the generation 30 20 30 40 years from now. I I'm trying to be the new reference. Or one, sorry, not the, but one of the new references mm-hmm. that we can that we can look to. Because again, Irving Penn, uh, Abaddon, all of these guys who were great photographers, they've created their own aesthetic. And when we look at the map, we look to them for like, oh, how would Abaddon do this? Yeah. How would Irving Penn do this? But, and I get it. There's there were no black photographers, you know, Jonathan Jonathan, and I'm not trying to pick on Jonathan Mannion, but um, he, you know, he made a post uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, Speaking about, uh, you know, his role in in hip hop. Sorry, he was speaking about what's going on right now with, you know, the George Floyd and everything about. And he he said something. He said something specifically that I want to say rubbed me the wrong way. And I wasn't I was going to leave a comment on his feed, but I didn't because I said to myself, you know what? Just like in high school, right? In my high school, I had a lot of uh, a lot of I had a lot of skinheads in my high school. Wow. Okay. A lot of skinheads, and we had uh, a lot of we had a few white boys who were down, right? Mm-hmm. And people used to be like, "Oh man, why are you why are you hanging with this this wigger, right?" And my philosophy back then was, "Yo, man, I prefer that this person is on our side than on the skinhead side." That was my philosophy back then, mm-hmm. right? So when Jonathan Manny made his posts. Uh, speaking about what's going on i said you know what now's not the time to criticize uh his post because he he appears to still be on our side even though there are in my opinion some things that i feel he 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 didn't he doesn't really fully address or address it in the way that i would want to address it right Mm -hmm. so he made a post and he was talking about you know we can't we can't tolerate we can't we can't be tolerant of this, this census killing, et cetera, et cetera. But the part that stood out to me is when he said, he said, over 30 years ago, I made a deliberate commitment to capture the brilliance, beauty, and humanity and phenomenal black artists, athletes, entertainers throughout my lens. This is a per- this is my personal work and my ministry, capturing not only the polished side of people, but also their authentic selves and and that they long to share with the world, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the what struck me was that he made a deliberate commitment to capture these artists, right? These black artists. And the point is exactly that. You didn't have to make a commitment. 
you know, there was no there was no avenue or lane for us to really capture these things because photography, like I said, was an expensive sport to get into. Photography was always left for the rich or the wealthy or the affluent because the, the, the gear back then, mm-hmm. in order in order just to create a, 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 a everlasting image, was was out of our league. Yes, there were photographers like Chimodu who was running the era that was capturing hip hop as well. But you didn't you didn't make this choice. Well, this choice was given to you, and the artists themselves gave you that, and it stays that way up until this day. You know, artists today don't necessarily black artists today don't necessarily decide. I need to photograph, I need to have a black photographer capture my essence. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a bigger issue um, that ne- that really gets discussed. And I'm I'm a huge advocate of always speaking about that. So yeah, so it doesn't get discussed that we didn't have access to necessarily get into, I mean, some of us did, I'm, don't get me wrong. There's, there's been black photographers throughout history, but it, it, it's, it's just like it is now, we are not the majority. Or, or, or even if we are the majority, the majority of work that's being published across the globe um, on a large platform, I don't mean your personal Instagram account, it's not by us. You know, whereas billboards, album covers, all of these things, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's, and that's kind of like where I feel like not only do people like Jonathan Mannion need to, to address, he needs to, and I don't know if he has, but he also needs to mentor, teach, and bring black photographers in his atmosphere and teach them how the game works from his perspective and give them opportunity to also shine and make a name for themselves too. You know what I'm saying? It can't always it can't always be the same five recycled, you know, uh, uh, artists or people that we keep referencing when it comes to our own image and outlook. If that makes any sense. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, it goes back to what you said about the white gaze. And, yeah. you know, he had Jonathan Mannion had an option of what he can choose. He had options of what he can choose to photograph. And the yeah. fact that. You know, he's made a whole career out of photographing black and brown skin means that he is shaping how the rest of the world views hip hop. Exactly. So imagine, right? Look, think back at every album cover you own, right? Yeah. Think about who photographed those images. And and right? and, and these are not just random covers. These are like No, iconic I, uh, legendary yes. artists. Yes, outcasts who've, who've shaped who've shaped the way we see the world, who've shaped our identities. Like hip hop music has been, as I've told you before, has been a super important part of my life. I grew up with like music running through my veins. My mommy would yell, stop. Like my my dad's DJing all hours of the night, you know, and my mom is upset. And when they argue, she would take some of his records and, you know, hide that. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was like music was around me. And when you think of like all of those records, who, who, who was behind the visual and the creative direction and and the shaping of, of ideas. Of course, the artists had input, but the artists also didn't think further enough to on who was capturing these images of themselves. Um, imagine imagine doing a Black Power Fist. Uh, uh, so Public Enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Public Enemy's album covers, right? Um, all of, all of that Black Power shit that we grew up listening to. His album, the album covers were shot by a white photographer. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. 
So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. If I'm going to do a pro-black album, right? <laughs> Every, everything about it has to be black. You know what I'm saying? And dude, the only that- thing that... The only thing that can be black about it is probably the label because I'm probably on a major. But other than that, like my my team, my director, mm-hmm. every every my everybody has to be part of a of a certain lineage to be able to 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 impact. So imagine the white guy in the in the in in in, in the in the cutting room deciding, mm-hmm. you know, what's the better image yeah. to portray this blackness that that that, that we're talking exactly. about on record. Yeah, it's man. Wild. I mean. And to to pivot just a little bit, man, I, I remember yeah. feeling the same way about Black Panther, the movie, right? Right. And I love the movie. It was, you know, it was a cultural game changer. But there were, you know, I remember, I, I'm not clear on which um, magazines, like black magazines. Oh my god! But I like go, I, not I, I having right not having black photographers. None of them. Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair, um, GQ, everybody had all the cast members on the covers, um, and not one black photographer uh, shot any of those covers. And I'm talking, I'm talking about like the Essence and the Ebony's, all, and- all of them, all of them. And when you th- and when you think of when you think of the uh, Colin Kaepernick um, recreating the Muhammad Ali uh, that cheeky photo with surrounded by black kids, mm-hmm. that was that was that was photographed by Martin Scholler. Right, yeah, and Martin Scholler. I love Martin Scholler's work, mm-hmm. but how am I? How am I doing a Black Panther kneeling type of story with Kaepernick, and I don't have a black photographer on the grounds to create that image? And one of the reasons is that we have not been tested, or we have. There's no proof of concept that we can actually pull it off because, yeah, we don't own studios, we don't own lighting, we don't own half of the things that, or it's assumed that we don't, so we can't create. They don't even try us to create the things that because we don't have practice obviously you, if you're going to do a cover you want a short shot you want a short bet you're like okay uh who do we have uh Siegler we're gonna take Siegler or we're gonna take you know mm-hmm. Avedon's kid and you're just gonna run with it not saying hey man is there a black photographer um who has a studio or who can come to our studio and work lighting and etc etc they, you know, they don't think of us but you know what I, I, that's that's the first thing right who's who's editing that particular assignment Who's the publication, yeah. right? It trickles down from the top, and I think that right now we're speaking about Kaepernick and we're speaking about Black Panther, right? As as two yeah. particular uh, subjects, but that those those photos existed in a time where it's very easy to find really talented, really accomplished Black photographers. Like absolutely, it's bullshit. There's no there's no excuse. There's zero excuses as to you know. You have Mika Carter. You have all these photographers who who've mastered the studio, who 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 create great work, uh, who could have been chosen for 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 those jobs. And obviously, you know, uh, Rolling Stones had a black photographer for the first time. They had Dana Scruggs on mm-hmm. there, who did, who did Travis Scott. And then starting, you had Tyler, who did the the Vanity Fair, uh, not Vanity Fair, uh, Vogue cover with Beyonce. Mm-hmm. It's it's starting, but then you're also seeing that it's also now becoming. The same clickiness. Then yep. now it's like, oh, we have three black photographers now. Let's just circle. Let's recycle these three black photographers now. And also, that's not cool. Yeah, I mean, because they're they're afraid to 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 interact with new black photographers and get people with stronger opinions, maybe. Or I mean, I, again, I'm not taking anything away from Dana or, or 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 Tyler. I don't know. 
I mean, I know Dana's views. I follow her intensely. She's obviously super on it. But you know, as far as like, what is it? What is it that these these people who are who are the 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 gatekeepers are not deciding to open up their role, their, their open up their their portfolio to other photographers to come in and say, okay, you know what? I need fifty black photographers on my Rolodex. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. On my email list that I can hit up at any time. And and no, they're only going to recycle the the, the the five that they they've deemed you know easy to work with, so to speak. Yeah. And at what point do you just say like every every photographer somebody had to take a you know quote unquote risk on right yeah before yeah. they prove themselves but they yeah. take more risks on the white photographers usually white yeah. male photographers yes you can fail you can fail upwards right mm-hmm. you can you can you can look at Terry Richardson and and look at Terry and be like yo Terry's we've known Terry to be molesting girls and pulling his dick out on in front of models for years right. And that didn't stop them from almost hiring him to do every single shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only because of the Me Too movement that he get out, he got out of here. But before that, they know what he was doing, but he could still do that work. But if I yeah. walked into a set and I pulled my dick out, that that I would never work a day again in my life. Yeah, and th- and that's the difference. Like like we we have no there's no margin of error for these 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 companies. I I was hired to do a cover for. Um, for a travel magazine, the Air Canada travel magazine. And, uh, you know, it was, it was shot, it was being shot in location in Barbados and went to Barbados to shoot the cover. And I felt like I killed the cover to be honest and came back and the client was like, Oh my gosh, sorry. The, 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 the agency was like, Oh my gosh, the client who's Air Canada loved it. And it was almost said in a tone as if though you didn't expect it to be that lit. Like you, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I took it as, of course they did. Why wouldn't they? I killed it. Mm-hmm. But the, the, it was almost like I felt doubt in the response. Like, yo, know, they loved it. I'm like, yeah, of course they did. But that type of like doubt over, over, oh, are we, are we, are, is it going to happen again? Or is, sorry, is, is he going to pull it off? Is always there, I feel. And, I might have been the first black photographer to ever shoot their cover. They didn't probably take it as a milestone, but I take it. I take it as a milestone. I'm. I. You probably don't even notice that they never had a black photographer shoot a cover before. Mm-hmm. And because the story was in Barbados, etc. I don't know why they chose, you know, a black photographer this, at, at this particular moment, but they did, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I haven't shot another cover for them since, which bothers me. Mm-hmm. I think about it all the time. I'm kind of like, okay, well. What, what what what's stopping me from getting any other cover with this particular magazine? I don't know, but they loved the work. They published the work. The um, it was it was on every it was on three hundred thousand airplanes. It was it, yeah, it was it was beautiful. And and to me, I felt it was one of the best covers because they had a black model on the cover as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The colors were beautiful, and it was just beautiful. So I'm trying to figure out like what's stopping, you know, that from happening again, and and to, c- to continue that shaping of the, the the narrative from black photographers you know what you just shared is relatable because i've i've shot assignments for editors and i'm like yo i i killed it right like they gave me the feedback that it was it went well they posted on their on their company's um ig page or whatever it goes into print and digital it's like oh all right cool yeah this i i did a good job on this right right so i'm thinking this is the beginning of building a working relationship with this editor right. or this publisher. And then it's crickets. And I'm right. like, 
I don't know if you experienced this. I'm sure you do at some in some instance, but it's like I start questioning, is it because they just needed to fill that black quota for that assignment or whatever? Or I don't know, do they have too many black photographers in the roster? Like they can't add another one or, you know, I start questioning all these things and, and it leads to more doubt about my skills. And I, I know that I'm, I know that I'm good and I know that I'm getting better. But when things like that happen, you know, it just makes me question a lot of things that's not based on my talent is more based on, you know, race, which yeah. then affects how I feel about my, my skill level, you know? Yes, absolutely. That you've, you've hit the nail on the head with that. Like the, the, the doubt that starts being, you know, sown in our minds is, 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 I'm not saying it's unwarranted, but it's because, yeah, like why, like, why aren't you, why aren't we building working relationships with these people that want to continue using, using our services when everything went apparently according to plan. And if, and if shit didn't go according to plan, hopefully these editors and these people would, would, would be, Oh no, we got to re it's a redo. We got to reshoot it. I, we spent the money already to go to, to Barbados. We got to redo it. But you know what I'm saying? No, that's not the case. So it's kind of like, why is it that I start doubting? Like, was it really, a, was it really a good cover? Did I really kill it? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I, and I know it's not that deep down, but then I have to start saying that it must be race or maybe they don't see, or maybe they don't recognize the importance of having a black photographer create images for them, especially when they choose to have a black person on the cover. But then if you look at the magazine, they don't always have black people on the cover, right? So then you're like, then that's another issue. Uh, yeah. You know I mean, I'm, I was, why, I was why hired. Is it, why, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like, I was hired because it's a a, a black model on a, in a black country. So they're gonna bring in a black photographer and then they could check off all the boxes. But yeah. you could, why not hire me to go to, Iceland to photograph a white person. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And I can do it too, right? Exactly. Even right now, if you look at my feed, right, my Instagram feed, I've, I've, I've purposely started showing majority, like 95, 95% of my feed are of black faces, right? And I would have white people hit me up on a DM saying, "Hey, if ever you want to shoot somebody who's white, I would love to be a subject of yours." I get the craziest DMs. Uh, if ever you're looking for a white model who's not as, you know, uh, not as, uh, who's lighter than what you're used to. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I shoot, I, sorry, I thought I hate the word shoot. I photograph, exactly. photograph yeah. I, I photograph uh, white people also. My feed is a choice, you mm -hmm. know, but they, they see it as, as almost like a, like a, like a thing that I don't do. And maybe that's why people think that I can't do it, but yes. If I could, first of all, photographing black skin is a lot harder than photographing white skin. So if I can do black skin, I can guarantee you mm -hmm. photographing a white person, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. And I've done it. I've done all kinds. But because you don't see that on the new portfolio, which is the web, which is the the the, the Instagram account, you think that you may think that I'm not capable, but I can go to Iceland and shoot, you know, all kinds. Mm -hmm. But you're not giving those opportunities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... Um with Instagram, uh, you know, it is a huge free marketing tool yeah. for, for creatives. But I think people forget that it's also a personal, it can be a personal page where, you know, artists, we get to curate what we want, what, what our work looks like. And um, I did the same thing uh, last year. I went through, I went through my, you know, my grid and I cleaned it up. And I, 
I, I realized like there were some things that I was posting because I felt like this is what the industry wants to see and I need to make mm. it, I mean, I need to make it uh, palatable and marketable, you know, to the industry. But right. then it wasn't feeling true to myself. And I actually did the same thing and I cleaned up the grid and I made sure it was focused like high 90 percentile of black and brown faces. But you, you know, know what's crazy about that too? That we have, we as black photographers, we have to think about that, mm-hmm. right? Like it was, I, I used, to, I was doubting my feet for a while. I was like, man, is it too black? Am I losing out on on clients? And I said to myself, my white photographer friends, who shoot ninety percent or exclusively black people, they probably never in a day in their life have to think about, is my feet too black? You know, there's a photographer named Jack McCain. He's the homie. He's from LA. I love his work. Uh, his feed is of predominantly black uh, artists. And I doubt that he's ever had to think to himself, am I showing too many black faces? But me as a black photographer, I get questioned by white people. Yo, why do you only shoot black people? Why is your feed so you know, focused on one particular subject? It's almost like, as if those threatening to their existence when, I, when my response is always, uh, do white photographers question why their feet so black? Would you ever ask a white photographer? Does anybody ever ask Jonathan Mannion, "Yo, where are the white people on your feet?" On your feet? Those questions don't get asked, and he doesn't have to answer them or even think about it, because, like he said, he made a commitment to do that. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And it doesn't get questioned. But as black photographers now, I'm thinking all the time. Like I look at my feet, I'm like, man. There's no, there's not a lick of white people on my feed, and our white people look at my work saying, "Oh yeah, he can't do the job that I want him done because I don't see myself in his work," and that's a possibility. But then, if that's the case, then I guess we're not meant to work together. And yeah. yes, do do I believe I've lost business on on that basis? Yes, absolutely. But what am I supposed to do? I'm going to document the culture I'm closest to. I'm going to document the culture I'm from. You see, I don't have to. I can. I can make a commitment to 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 be. I can make a commitment to to be. I want to be. I want to be committed to shooting white people all day, photographing white people all day. Mm-hmm. Would my work be taken seriously if I did? Man, how you would know, that would, make? Would, how would you feel about yourself? Exactly. How would I feel about myself? And would my work be taken seriously? Would I? Would I get? Would I get to be thirty years later from now talking about my commitment on showing white people in their natural state of what they want to show the world, like? Would would I would I be allowed to speak that way if I wasn't talking about my own culture? Mm. It's multi level, but if you look at it and you break it down, that's why his tech his post kind of kind of set off alarms in my mind in my head. And I, but I'm like, you know what? He's still his, he's still trying to be a, an ally of some sort. So let me not, especially what's going on. Let me not be the you know the 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 Debbie Downer and be like, nah, bro, you need to, you, need, you know what I'm saying? Like, because it was it wasn't. He he didn't he didn't cross he didn't cross any lines that made me have to want to check him. I mean that was just my personal feeling on his on his on his posts. You know what I'm saying? I've seen other posts that I had to go in like Heist Labadi. You know they 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 did a post on uh on the the arrest of the officer, and I had to ask them. I wanted to comment. I'm like, yo, have you guys made any post about racism, police brutality? Toward black people specifically, not POC, but towards black people, yeah, because exactly po- because posting about the arrest, it's a get out of jail free card because it looks like you're on social issues, 
but you never really put what your stance is on issues when you pedal in black culture all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, my comment went on, my comment went on, they didn't respond to my comment. Um, High Society has posted my work before. I have relationships with some of the guys over High Society. I've been to their offices in Germany. I, 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 all of, cool, but your brand of what you guys do as a blog and as a platform, as a magazine, hasn't pedaling the culture and you guys think that it's easy just to post about an arrest as it's news, but you're not really giving what your take is on yeah. this, on, on on racism. How do you feel about this shit? Yeah, with no you stance, I mean? taking no stance. Exactly. Complex is the same shit. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, guys, like at some point, if Jonathan Mannion or Jack McCain or uh, or or uh, um, whoever else is going to take a stance, you're going to get my props because you're taking a stance and you're letting people know where you stand. Mm-hmm. And that's dope to me. But there also has to be a, 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 a re-education on language and how we perceive and see ourselves within a space that you were welcomed into, right? And that's another topic that we don't, we don't have to get into, but I think it's also like a broader conversation to have about like, yeah, you made a commitment 30 years ago. Could I do the same? First of all, it's even harder, even as a Black photographer, I don't know if you've experienced this, but the type of access white photographers get in our spaces is also unfeathered whereas we get the like i can never i i personally cannot go to detroit right now uh or or and and document black neighborhoods uh without being perceived as an op you think who's this dude we don't know you what are you doing here but if i was a white photographer not from detroit and i went to detroit to document some shit it would be like, yo, this is my gun. This is where Justash has set. This is, you know, you would get the whole gamut mm-hmm. of of everything because white has always been, because obviously because of history, has always been perceived as, oh yeah, this is gonna bust. This is gonna be on, on CNN. This is gonna be, this is gonna take off. Like you, you feel that they they're able to propel a, a, a visual a lot further than we can. So we get the night access. You know, I, I've been I've been not to cut you off, sorry, real quickly. I've been faced with I've been with celebrity. Uh, subjects who would not look at me in the eye, black photog- black celebrities, or who would not give me the look or the gaze that I need in order to capture an image of them, because I believe their perception is that as a black photographer, I'm trying to get a come up off of their look, as opposed to documenting history. Hmm. And I see their change in the, and your eyes light up and act differently when they're with white photographers. So even us as a people, we got to do internal work to be like, yo, we have to give people to look i have a picture that i photographed of uh of solange right mm-hmm. uh during fashion week and i remember we're all outside of during fashion week and she's coming out of a philip Lim show and she's just doing her regular walk to her her next destination or another show or whatever and i look at her I'm like yo solange and i make eye contact with her and she looked at me and gave me the look i didn't send you that photo i'm gonna send it to you after for the talk but um so you so you can post it for people that can hear it but she gave me a look that meant like, I'm seeing you, brother. I'm connecting with you. Mm. Because she she understood in that moment, in the sea of white photographers that I was surrounded by, I was probably the only black photographer on that front line. She probably realized in that split second, let me give this guy a look that could move the narrative. And I, 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 was, I don't know if that's what she was feeling, but what she gave me, she gave me that look. And you know what it is when you're photographing somebody and they give you what you need, what you want, right? And, and that's what we have to start working on, like making sure that we're giving the best look, the best energy, the best vibe to our black photographers so that they can go out and have the record 
of history of what those images look like 20, 30 years from now. We need that record. Yeah, man. That's powerful. It's powerful to get that look. And I mean, as far as access, I I feel like things are shifting. I feel like um, some editors are are getting it, you know, and uh, they're understanding that they need to send out black photographers for particular stories just because there's going to be a certain certain amount of understanding that we have with the participants in the story and in the community. And, you know, I'm starting to see some shifts, you know, Mm. and um, but I think it, it starts with who's behind the desk, who's yep. like making the calls to the editors, like what, what is their perception of, you know, the stories and, and black photography and black photographers as a whole. And then, you know, where are the black editors? Where are the black yep. decision makers in the newsrooms and in the, the magazine offices, you know? For sure. Uh, I did want to, you know, speak a little bit more about some of your work. I know you had a few projects that I thought were really dope. Yes, into it. You know, um, since we would, you know, we, this kind of went on a tangent talking about um, album co- music and album covers and stuff. Um, I know you just recently photographed the, um, the Dreamville album cover. Yes, yes. Like, so when I saw that cover, it was just the Dreamville letters, and I was like, "All right, that's dope." But I'm like, "What do you mean you photographed it? It looked like a, it looked like a design, right? Like a graphic right. designer made it." And I'm right. and, and then the second question I had was, how did you, not? It wasn't a question; it was more a statement. It was like this: this photograph looks just like the low key portraits that you take. So I was like, how did you find a way to bring that style of how you photograph people into photographing this album cover? So uh, um, that's a good question. Let me get into that real quick. So a year uh, a year ago uh, a year before that that image was photographed. Um, J. Cole and his and his camp were coming to Montreal for a concert. And uh, another photographer by the name of Byron Summers, um, who, who who knows people from that camp, uh, told the, the creative director at the time, uh, the creative director, still the creative director of Dreamville, that when he comes to Montreal, he needs to connect with, um, with me. So when he came to Montreal, they connected with me, right? And I connected with this, with, with my guy, his name is Felton. And Felton came through and we chopped it up and we had like a, just a candid conversation about, you know, my views in, 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 in the whole landscape of what we're talking about right now, basically. Kind of like what we're doing right now. And, and I was like telling him exactly how I feel about artists using black photographers, et cetera, et cetera, right? And that struck a chord with him. And a year later, when he was when they were working on the Dreamville project, he told everybody at Dreamville, "Yo, we need to have Nasca from Montreal photograph this next album cover." And they were like, "Well, then if that's what we need, let's go get Nasca." It just so happened that I was I was in uh, I was in Brook I was in Brooklyn at the time on a shoot in New York, and he had hit me up. He's like, "Yo, are you still in Singapore?" I'm like, "No, nah, I'm actually in, in New York." He's like, "Shit, I'm in New York. Too. I'm in New York right now too. Let's connect." And we connected and we spoke about, you know, what this was going to look like. And um, initially, um, the the concept was to build out this trophy and then have me go around uh, 
the states photographing portraits of all of the people featured on the album and then have them reflected somehow in a trophy. That was the initial idea of this whole concept. But because everybody was on tour, et cetera, et cetera, it would have been impossible for me to go to Atlanta and go all around to get J. Cole, to get uh, Young Baby Tate, to get everybody that's featured on this album in time for the release, right? So we just got the, we got the trophy built out in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and they flew it to Montreal. And during the creative process, during the creative process, I was kind of like, listen, you know what? Um, I'm known for my black background and my low-key lighting. And I said, you know what? I think it would be dope if we just do like a, a, a simple black background, just a trophy uh, revenge. And that's what we settled on. So we flew into Montreal and we shot it. We shot it in one day. We photographed it in one day. Um, me and my team, we did the lighting, the lighting and all that other stuff. We put it all together. And that was the final result. And if you look at the image, I left, I left like a, a little, a little, a little light highlight so that people would assume, would know that it's not because that, that it's not digital. I, 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 the way I lit it, I lit it on purpose with a little, with a little toward the bottom half um, of the trophy. There's like a little light, a little light highlight, and that was so people know that if I were going to do this digital, if this is to be done digitally, you would clean up, and make it perfect. So a little imperfection was to let people know this is a photo actually. Nah, that's you know dope. What I mean? Yeah, like a little breadcrumb. Exactly. So for those who know, we recognize. Oh, this is not a photo. But most most people thought it was digital, yeah, and it exactly. wasn't. It was, it was it was a big it was a big ass trophy, and uh, I also I'll also send you the behind the scenes images so that people can see it too and how we put it together, how we lit it. But I kind of just approached it like, how do I make this this trophy feel and look alive, like one of my portraits? So I kind of did the the same type of like lighting but with more emphasis on certain elements that I knew need to stand out. And uh, yeah, and to be honest, it kind of looks, how it looks on the album cover is pretty much how it looks and feels in camera. Just with minor, with minor, like, you know, removing some dust, some dust speckles and some of that and bringing the conscious a little bit, but that's kind of like, that's kind of like how it looks in camera. So the raw is almost identical as the final image, which is super dope. Nice, nice. And did you have any, like how how much experience do you have photographing, you know, objects? Um, um I have a life? lot because in order in order in order to pay the bills and to run the studio and all of that, um, I do a lot of like commercial work, and 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 product shots and I uh, you know I photograph stuff for like for like Nike and and, and different brands and Puma and et cetera et cetera. So I, I I've done I've done a lot of still life, uh, um, throughout my life. So when the challenge came to doing um, the trophy, it was like a no-brainer for me, you know. And and I and I wanted to keep I want to keep such a, a major uh, project uh, closer to my essence of who I am as a photographer and what I and what I want to see, rather than trying to give, you know, the client what I think they may expect of me. You know what I'm saying? So that album cover was special to me is because it's really part of my style, right? Like it's kind of like just just kind of like taking my style with people and putting it in an object. So uh, that was kind of like the goal of keeping it almost seamless. And I can imagine your design sensibility definitely yeah. showed up. You know, exactly. When you're that, that like a, yeah, exactly. An object. Yeah, for sure. You know, because um, like I mentioned, I have like a design background, and when I was just really like getting deep into photography, I was photographing everything, which is why I'm right. glad I didn't go to school. 
where they they, right. they probably would have said you have to focus on this one thing exactly. Right? And I'm like, well, nah, I, I just want to make stuff look dope, whatever it is, you know. So I would, you know, photograph whatever was lying around the house and try to light it and, and figure all of that stuff out, and you know, feel like I don't have any boundaries. Right. You can't, and you and you you want to you want you want to be you want to be somebody who's multi multifaceted when it comes to with photography too, right? Yeah, it helps you, you to you think to. about um, how to see the world from multiple perspectives, and that and that those those different perspectives show up in street photography. They show up in portraits, you know, and you know, photography. We 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 all know that it's all about light and being able to notice interesting light wherever we are. Is and, and not only notice it, but also create interesting light wherever we are, you know. And if we're right. able to look at things from multiple perspectives, we're just changing the way we're able to notice light. Exactly. So, bro, what's uh, what's what? You know, I know COVID is affecting everybody in in different ways, man. How how has COVID affected you and 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 like some of your future plans? Listen, I've been taking this time to to really like download you know information from my brain from my mind from my heart from my soul and upload like a new operating system almost right i'm taking in a lot of books i'm taking a lot of audiobooks i'm taking a lot of like uh physical books i'm reading uh meditating I, i've been i've been trying to strengthen strengthen myself as a creative i haven't been doing a lot of work i haven't been shooting a lot at all i just put the camera down to kind of just like refocus and to rebuild my imagination on what photography is and means to me so that when i come back out it'll be a lot stronger um like i mentioned earlier in my studio we've expanded so when 20 in in 2018 sorry 2017 we went from our 1800 square feet uh studio uh to about 8,000 square feet so 2018 was we, we had we had a few good years uh, in order to build up to to expand my brother and I so we we grew into a much bigger space um, and this bigger space uh, has a 4,000 square foot studio a standalone studio in this space uh, that we used to create and we have other people creating there as well so they can rent our studio so it became like a, a new part of our business like in terms of like uh, rental space so we're renting our studio out other photographers videographers uh weddings gatherings you know black owned the city it's super dope uh and obviously the the 2020 plans was kind of like in the beginning of january we kind of felt like this is our year this is our year it's always our year but 2020 felt like there was such an energy (laughs) that we're all gonna win tenfold (laughs) right and then boom right uh all my assignments uh future jobs uh gigs everything i had planned out calendar just wiped out and you know we're i'm in the process right now trying to deal with my landlord because she wants to rent obviously and with no with no income and no gigs coming in it's hard to 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 maintain rent on a you know almost nine thousand square foot uh studio uh, and office space so listen just trying to keep the faith man and 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 hope that after all this is done we get to stay so stay in business and hopefully some of the brands and clients that we've been that we've been working with over over the years and the prices we had in the pipeline um can still come back either in a limited form or or not but yeah um right now i have nothing in the pipeline 
my the I have nothing like planned, like no projects. Only thing I'm working on personally is my own book. I'm trying to put on my book. It's been two years I'm working on it now, and it keeps it keeps delaying it because it's hard for me to 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 curate my work down to a point of this is what I want to have. Like I'm 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 doubting myself. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm working on my book. I I and 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 hopefully this is the year it's gonna come out. And yeah, hoping hoping to to get back into to to to, to documenting more of our people and telling various stories and to keep it moving and building that legacy. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So, uh, knowing what you know now with the risk that you take, that you've taken and seeing the outcomes, what would you tell your younger self thinking about jumping into photography? I'll tell myself to, 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 to have paperwork on everything, contracts, uh, paperwork, uh, making sure that um, everything's clear between you and all parties. You know what I'm saying? And and I think I think earlier on I, I may have given up a few raws to certain people, not understanding hmm. uh, certain, the, what the game, but just 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 little things like that. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, protecting your work uh, and, and 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 making sure that you're you're running a tight ship. Like the, the the part of being creative is that there's also the business side of it. And I think for a long time we focus so much on the creative aspect of it and we never really handle the business side of it. And I think that's where um, I would have tightened up earlier on. I mean, now I'm on it, but back then it was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just out here and, and not really, you know, creating a resource for myself and for others to, to know how to charge, what to charge breakdowns. Like, you know, something as simple as when I do a gig right now, you know, I charge for my camera equipment as a rental. You know what I'm saying? Back then I never used to charge for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, yo, People always assume that a photographer owns a camera and, and you, nobody should assume that a photographer owns a camera. I can be a photographer without a camera. And if I'm, if I'm going to photograph something for you, I have to rent that. And that's why there's going to be a line on my invoice that says, you know, camera gear. And people think, but I, don't you have a camera? Yeah, I do, but it's not yours. It's mine. Yeah. Right. When my actuations deteriorate and my ca- I need a new shutter, who's paying for that? You know what I'm saying? So just little things like that, making sure to charge for, for your time, not only charge for, uh, the work you're doing in the field, but charge for the licensing of the set images mm. and also charge charge for the culling time. You know, I, I used to, I used to like shoot, like say 500 photos for a client and then take the day to select the ones that I'm going to be delivering. That's a day of my work that I never used to charge for. I mean, I'm just like, I want to do my due diligence and make sure that they have the best images, but the, the, the hours I'm going to take to call down my images that's a day of work. So charging for that fee as well. You know what I'm saying? And that's how everyone else does it. So we have to get into that game too, where we're charging for every single thing uh, to make sure that we get to stay fed and keep the rent paid. Yeah. And again, going back to the, the early topics in the, in our conversation, you don't know what you don't know. And, exactly. you know, so I'm glad you're able to share some of that with folks out there listening. And, you know, hopefully that opened up some small doors to how we can approach our businesses moving forward. Absolutely. And and for everybody's listening, just know that uh, I'm always a resource, man. Like I, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I answer all my DMS uh, for the most part. And I try to like help um, the community out as much as possible. So if anybody ever has questions or anything like that, I'm not one of those types who are going to like, you know, ignore uh, a question. I'm going to tell you what camera I use. I'm going to tell you, 
you know, what lens I use. Like I, I saw I saw somebody make a post the other day that was like, oh, next time somebody asks me what camera I use, I'm gonna invoice them. And I'm like, that's very insecure of you. Like mm. me telling you my camera is not gonna take away a job, take away anything for me. Uh, we need to share information. We have to get into the 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 the, the, the mindset that you know, the more you give in terms of time, energy, and information, the more you get back, right? And if you live by that philosophy, you're always going to have live life in abundance. And I always say that, that, you know, life is good for me because I'm generous. And that generosity is not necessarily like uh, financial. It's, it's, with, it's what you do with your time, your energy, and, 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 and participating and being a cultural participant at all times. What's up, everyone? This is Nasuke Damini. You're now tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. Peace. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.